and gentlemen, I'm back with another great founder on our show Off The Record. Uh, his name is Mike Williams, and he's uh, spent 18 years in marketing. And he's the c- CEO of, uh, you guessed it, a marketing agency, Jetstream Digital. And he's also a facilitator of the Digital Marketing Bootcamp. Mike, welcome to the show. Let's make it a, a real Off The Record uh, today by getting some nice juicy insights from you. Thanks again yeah, for joining. Absolutely. Th- thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Cool, cool. Let me start off by asking the first question is, um, you know, if my understanding is correct, you support people uh, who focus on sales and marketing first right now through your agency uh, and product second. Can you tell me a little bit about why that is? Yeah, for sure. And, And I don't know that it's intentional, but it's more what I know. So, you know, my strength is, is more in the marketing side. I know how to make marketing work. And so the product kind of becomes secondary. And I know that's counter to what uh, a lot of the advice is and, uh, you know, what a lot of people are doing, but the companies that I founded, and there's lots of different ways to get a company off the ground and make things happen. Um, but the companies that I founded have been done in that way, where we focused on marketing. We kind of like, arrived on the scene and said like, Hey, we're the 500 pound gorilla with our marketing and our presence, knowing full well that the service and the, and if there was a product wasn't quite there and that worked for us. And so we kind of like emerged, had this presence and then grew into what we said we were, if that makes sense. So it's kind of a strategy, but you know, I think a lot about, you know, founders when they get stressed and when, when things get tough, you fall on what you know. And so if I don't know a lot about product, I'm not going to go back to the product versus if you're an engineer or a developer, you're not going to go to marketing and sales. Right. You're going to go to let's build the product. Let's focus on it. Let's make it better. Right. And so I think that's really where that comes from. So I don't know that it's intentional and I know it flies in the face of a lot of what uh, good advice is out there, but I would just say there's a lot of different ways to approach things and get your company off the ground. There's lots of strategies that still work. Mm-hmm. And so with, with what you do with your clients right now, how much, how much do you see being weighted on between sales and the marketing in this mix? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting question. The, the clients that we're working with right now, uh, you know, the way we describe them is they have like modern uh, products for today and the future, but their sales strategy is like 1980, 1990. Mm-hmm. So, so when we start working with them, they're very, they're focused on sales. They know they need to do sales, but it's a more traditional outbound phone calls, you know, conferences, you know, visiting an office, knocking on doors, making connections, kind of that, like that old boys network. Right. And, and that certainly does work, you know, cold calling does work. But the scalability when you layer in marketing and when you have marketing is so much higher and you can, you know, you could create, you know, campaigns and posts and content that will drive several leads for years. And so I would say like the the weighting of that when we start working with clients is probably like 75% and higher focused on sales. And we want to get that. I don't know, 50, 50 is the right mix, maybe like 60, 40. I want to get more marketing because there's so much sales or there's so much scale in that. And so if we can get more marketing in there, we can scale up their business. They don't have to necessarily grow their sales team and the manual process of selling. It doesn't take away sales. Sales is very, very important. I don't want anyone to think that you can just do this with marketing, but 
marketing should make sales easier. And I think if you put more effort into the marketing, you can create more scale. The tough part about, you know, putting a percentage on it is we might have one marketing person or like 10 marketing people to like 50 salespeople, but the work of that marketing person is so much more scalable, if, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. Yeah. And that's a, it's a great kind of um, actually segue to another question I have. And um, I don't know how familiar you are with like product-led growth, PLG, but we've seen in our in our own clients and you know some of the people that we've been speaking to in the industry that they've seen a lot of success in their businesses where they've actually made the hard decision and fired their sales team, pivoted their business to be more of a product-led growth initiative. Um, and um, they've seen a lot of success with it. It's mm-hmm. it's just a lot more of like product as you know as a success driven um, outcome um, and marketing really tying in very closely to that. So have you seen that on your end? Have you seen any of your clients kind of experience anything like that as well? Yeah, I'm not not as familiar with product led growth. I, I, you know, a similar model that I really get behind is, uh, is HubSpot's uh, flywheel, right? And so with, with the flywheel, I think the, the part that's, in there and, and maybe encapsulates uh, a product as well is like the experience. So, you know, the traditional marketing funnel, you work through the funnel, awareness, interest, desire, action, that funnel is not going away. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you actually get someone to become a customer, you want to make sure they have an amazing experience every, at every point that they interact with your business, whether it's the product, support team, sales team, you know, anyone they need to talk to at, at your company. And then when they come through that flywheel, as they continue to go around it, you know, there isn't really an end, but somewhere in there, they become an ambassador or, mm-hmm. or someone that is going to promote and they're going to tell more people. And so you're really leveraging uh, word of mouth. And so it's not that I'm, I'm not, certainly not against product-led growth, um, but the, the part that would concern me about that would be, you know, that founder that goes back to just work on the product and yeah. and the the strategy of if you build it they will come uh and i personally uh have not seen that as often as we are going to push this and put it out there when it gets traction then we're going to see it grow so i certainly don't want anybody to think that ignoring your product or not working on your product or not making an amazing product is isn't like that is the core of your business that's what you know makes you uh super successful and grow but there are strategies around that that you can integrate and move through as you grow your business and get your product to that point. Mm-hmm. But you still have to have customers and clients coming through, having an amazing experience where they become advocates, ambassadors. They talk about your business. And so in the paid world, we think a lot about cost per acquisition, right? Like how much did it cost us to acquire the customer? And then the problem with that some thinking is that we sometimes stop well, we've, we've done our job. We've acquired the customer. We're good. Let's move yeah. on. Let's go get the next customer. And, you know, that is what we're doing in marketing, but we got to remember that flywheel and that experience. And that if we acquire one customer for, you know, say a hundred dollars, if they go through the flywheel and they have an amazing experience, they're going to tell two, three, 10, 50 people. And the social proof and the influence that that person has over their network is massive. And so we've just acquired one customer for hundred. They told 50 people and, you know, at least 30 of those people 
will become customers. So that cost per acquisition number improves. So, you know, like I said, I'm not as familiar with product-led growth. I'm a big believer in product management and making amazing products. But I think that you can integrate the marketing piece as a bit of an MVP as well. Like this is the MVP marketing strategy while we're building out the MVP product and they can kind of co-align as you grow the business, as you see that traction. Uh, but I think, you know, something that maybe is missing in both those views is that experience of the customer and their experience is more than just the product. A lot of it is the product, but there are other things that uh, are, are in play as well. Oh, for sure. Uh, with product-led growth, like marketing, like growth uh, is very working, is very closely working with the product teams because it, it's got to like all flow correctly, you know, through the whole buyer journey yeah. experience. And then, you know, uh, people pass it on, you know, that's how you get referrals. That's how the product is organically growing. Right. Right. Um, a question for you. Um, you've worked now with like, I don't know how many dozens or hundreds of different companies over the years with, uh, with your agency. Um, what would you recommend to a founder who's starting a new SaaS company venture, um, which is, you know, a tech product, how much of their time and or should, or more better yet, when do they actually start marketing mm -hmm. versus starting to build the product already? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, and, and you know, I was going to start to talk about it uh, just as you were responding to, to my question there, it, the, the marketing, I think I'd like to see that happening sooner, a lot sooner. And so, you know, I, I work very closely with a, a startup here in uh, Victoria called Alacrity Canada or an uh, incubator uh, that's helping startups. And we created a digital, digital marketing bootcamp to help these companies integrate marketing sooner and understand it because they're very, like we're talking about product-led growth. I think there's some product-led companies. They're not necessarily thinking about growth. They're thinking about the product and building all of that out and building it correctly. And then they think almost as an afterthought, like, oh, I should get that marketing thing solved as it's as if it's like this Lager. problem that's like in a silo. <laughs> yeah. But it yeah. comes after the fact. Yeah. And so that's when we start talking about companies. And so I would, I would love to see more of them happening sooner. So the initiative with Alacrity Canada was let's give this, let's build this digital marketing bootcamp course mm -hmm. so that founders can take it and understand these concepts as they're building their products, because a lot of them are super smart engineers, developers that are building really cool products, solving problems, but they don't understand marketing. So they wanted them to understand that sooner. And then that's where Jetstream was born out of as well is, you know, if you don't want to learn it, well, we'll help you do it. And so we'll come in and we'll start to integrate that marketing. But I would say it needs to happen sooner. Like in my own experience, building, you know, agencies that kind of look like products, mm -hmm. uh, but aren't day one, it's marketing, 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 right. And sales, uh, you know, and, and so it's day one. I don't know that that's going to work for every SaaS product, but I would just say that it should start a lot sooner. The strategies and the discussions around it should start a lot sooner. It's like, Hey, we see this problem. It's a really painful problem that all these people have. I mean, that's a good point. There is, is there a market, <laughs> right? Like, yes, it's a problem and it's, you know, it's a painkiller and we've got this thing that solves it, 
but is there a big enough market to sustain it? And then start to think about like, how do we reach those people? Who are those personas? What's our strategy? So it doesn't mean you have to start, you know, building out your Facebook page and your TikTok strategy and your SEO, but from a, just a pure marketing standpoint, does anybody want this? Mm-hmm. And how many people want this and can it scale? And then start to think about like, how would we reach this customer and how would we position it? And I think that's something that gets lost a lot is how are we going to position this company out there in the world? Cause you know, all the product, uh, you know, work in the, in the world isn't necessarily going to put you in a good position to create scale and market and create something compelling with a unique selling proposition that resonates with people. Exactly. So I, I guess my answer is as soon as possible, but it yeah. doesn't have to be like a fully baked marketing plan, but just have those marketing discussions, have some of those sales discussions. How would we sell this? How would we approach this? Who are we selling to? And is it a big enough market? Because nobody should create a project product for like, you know, 10 people, unless they're going to pay millions of dollars for it. And let's talk about some of like the marketing activities that a founder should really consider or focus on at the get-go. Like, what are they? How, how would yeah. they know that they're going about it the right way? Yeah, great, great question. The, the thing that, that really comes to mind, uh, and I wouldn't say that I'm the best at it, but is the storytelling component. Uh, you know, my experience, I was born in the, into the digital marketing era where we just A-B tested stuff. We didn't really think about psychology and the messaging and what we were actually doing. We just A-B tested it until it worked. But, you know, my, now my understanding of storytelling and being able to tell that story sooner and have that relate to your audience. So I think that's something that more founders should look at and, and you don't, it's great if you can be the face, but not every founder wants to be the face, but it is nice if you can do that. People will connect with you, your story, who you are and your struggles. Um, but I think telling that story sooner, whether it's a founder story or even like the story of the business or the story of the problem, mm-hmm. thinking about telling stories um, sooner on in the, in the process, I think is really valuable. As far as like what to look for, uh, you know, in the early days, I think you're looking for traction. Like, is it something that starts to multiply? Like does one turn into three? Does three turn into 10? Does 10 turn into 20? And that's an obvious answer, but you know, anytime I'm running like a paid campaign uh, for a client, I'm looking for one conversion. Does this thing convert? And then I'm looking for three. Then I'm looking for 10, not will this, you know, because so many people set up a paid say Google campaign and oh, it doesn't work. It's like, well, did you get any conversion? Yeah, I got a couple. It's like, great. That's a great start, right? And so, you know, some of those marketing things in the early days may be more, a little more sales focused, a little bit more direct where you're asking like friends or, you know, people that you know, or maybe you're, uh, you know, reaching out to someone that you know has this problem. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. I just, I wouldn't want, I don't want to tell people to, jump in and just create a fully formed marketing plan and do all of these things because there's so many things in, in digital, you know, search, social, email, yeah. uh, podcasting, you know, all these different things that you can be doing and you don't have to do all of them. I would actually go back to more like of the, the traditional marketing, not even digital storytelling, what's your brand position, USP personas, who is the customer where are we, where are they and how can we find them? 
And in terms of like finding the customers, so once you have your story, once you have your USP and um, you're ready to kind of go and test it out, what have you seen as effective channels, approaches, tactics to go and actually touch that target demographic sure. um, across different mediums? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think if you can ever get a chance to talk to your customers, those first few that come through, you know, just talk to them. And that maybe is more of a product management thing than it is a, a marketing uh, discussion, but you'll discover things about them that you didn't even realize because it's really easy to put, to assume that you're the customer, mm -hmm. like, oh, why is anybody buying this? I don't have this problem, but they have that problem. And so if you can talk to them, I think that's a, a really great thing um, to do. But in terms of getting started with like where to find them, for me, my, my process is, is someone searching for this? Because if they are, there's search, there's intent. And with intent comes easier conversions. Easier is not maybe the right word, but there's more likelihood that we can find some early success and traction. And so I would go to like a paid search approach before I invested in content and SEO. Um, I want to see if there's volume. I want to see if there's conversions. I want to see if there's traction there before I start to invest in more of an organic search approach. But I really like starting with search because there's like inherently customers there searching for your problem. Mm -hmm. And think about, I think it was Russell Brand is probably from um, someone else as well, but he talked about, uh, are they problem aware, solution aware, brand and product aware? Uh, so think about that because if they're already product aware and they're searching for this, they just need to discover your brand, your opportunity and how you're different. So I think a lot of, in terms of, of search, if there's no search traffic, then I go over to like a social play. Is, is there a place we can discover on, you know, or customers we can discover on Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, uh, that sort of thing. And if, if, that's a possibility if the, the numbers look like they work, then, then we go there and we start to work some different angles and strategies. If that doesn't work, then you're, you're left with you know, a lot of other challenges. Uh, but you can try, there's always display traffic as well. I think a lot of people will forget about just straight up banner traffic as an opportunity. But when you're looking at search or social where a user's journey starts, search has intent, social, they're browsing. And so one thing that you can do with either of those in the early days is rather than send them to a product or a service, you can actually send them to like, Hey, a discovery call or like buy the service when they get to the thank you pages, like, Hey, we'd love to talk to you and then ask them. I, I think that that's the easiest thing you can do. I don't see enough companies doing that and taking the time, but you'll learn so much more about your customer. If you ask them versus making assumptions from your internal, you know, sort of discussions in your bubble, uh, mm -hmm. where you're not the customer. So. No, like that's some great tip suggestions. I hope a lot of the people listen to that because yeah, <laughs> all the tips provided there, I think are spot on. It's all things that we've tried, we've done. So thank you. Um, cliche question here. Uh, I still want to ask it. I mean, through you building your own agency over these years and getting your own clients, were there any kind of hacks, tips, tricks, I don't know, grassroots approaches that you tried out where you identified that was like a, a kind of like a magic growth lever that you've, you've identified? 
the only thing that I would say, and this is it's a it's a double-edged sword, is to keep pivoting until you find traction. Okay. Right. And and so I guess, you know, that's maybe the hack is I don't invest too much time unless I have traction. So I'll put a little bit of time, a little bit of effort into something. If that starts to go, then I'll continue to travel down that path. If it doesn't have traction, I'm not going to put more time and energy into it. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, that's one of the things. The problem with it is that you could just end up pivoting forever and never really finding your place if you don't travel far enough down one of those paths. And again, that's a little bit like product management as well, where we're going to try this path and come back and go a different way. I think you could pivot yourself to death, but I think you have to keep doing that and keep looking. And then the other thing that just, you know, I don't know if it's a hack and lots of people have said it, but it's just focus, like just focus in on what you're doing, where you want to be, you know, what your team is up to. And I'm, I'm going through this right now where I'm like, I just want to focus this thing in. And I get so much more excited about the business when I'm focused and I know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. And the thing about focus for me personally is the amount of things I'm now saying no to, because I can fall into that yes man category where you're saying yes to all these things. And then you're like, wait, these aren't even things that I want to do. So now I'm just going to say no to all these things, except for this, this thing, and then focus on that. So hopefully that makes sense. I just, there's the double-edged sword of like, you know, not getting traction in anything and not going far enough because in any startup, in my experience, you start to travel down a path, you're going to hit a bump in the road, no matter what. And then something else is going to look easier and you're going to switch gears. So you have to make sure that it's just a bump and not like a straight up wall. Like this is the end. I'm going to stop and back out and go a different way because you're going to run into that bump. So hopefully that makes sense. But I think focus and, and finding the, the areas of traction and, and going further with those um, opportunities. Regarding the traction part, what is an indicator or like a signal, whether or not you should stop that experiment or stop that approach that you're doing that's not getting you anywhere? Like, when do you know, like, how much time should you give to something that you just kind of like move on and try something else? when it comes to like yeah. some of the marketing efforts? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, this isn't a great answer, but honestly, it's, it's kind of gut feel, right? right. And, 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 you know, it's, it's like personally, like how I feel about this, whether this is like I'm pursuing an opportunity. Um, and I, I mean, I think that's really, I mean, that's the thing that comes to mind is, do I feel like I can pursue this and overcome this? Am I confident that I can get through this bump, get over this wall? And that on the other side will be something. Um, unfortunately, I feel like that's the best answer that I can give. And I know that's not super helpful, but maybe other people can kind of tune into them themselves. And I mean, I've made a ton of mistakes too. So I, I think I kind of can sense whether something's going in the right direction or not and whether it's worth pursuing. But I can fall into that like yes man category as well where I'm like, oh, I'm saying yes to a lot of things. That's not good. I need, I need to focus. So I don't know if that's answering the question, but I, for me, that's, I mean, honestly, that's the thing is like, do I feel excited about this and do I feel like I can overcome this challenge? Mm -hmm. And that when I get to the other side, it will start to ramp up and we look for that inflection point. And that's where I'm feeling about the business right now is focusing in 
on this thing. I'm very excited about it. It's not going to be easy, but I know that on the other side is success and scalability, or I feel very confidently can't know with all certainty. No, I think, I think you're right. Like, I think a lot of decisions I make or the, our team makes, yeah, it's like, we look at the quantitative data, but a lot of it is like qualitative in the sense, like we got to just try our, and, you know, go with our gut on certain things. So it is something that, you know, you build out over time. I think for like newer time founders or like maybe like a tech person who's trying to build up a company, they might need that partner on the sales and marketing side to be that like counter (laughs) towards being that uh, person who says, you know what, no, it's not working like, and have that gut instinct. So it's, it's very true. Yeah. Well, and, and right now the, the action that I'm taking with the agency and where we're focusing is actually counter to what my advisors are advising me of, but I'm very excited about it. Right. And so I've, I've, I've been listening to them and I've been going down this path and I'm like, "Eh, it just doesn't feel right. I just don't feel quite, good about it and knowing whole well full well that like in myself i'm like this is the path this is the path and so i finally just said like i'm doing this mm-hmm. and this is what the way i'm going and i feel so much better about it and so you know for me personally i have to listen to those advisors but not necessarily act on everything they say it's just outside advice i'm the one that's going to know the yeah. business best and i think that's a difficult part for founders especially when they raise money and get boards and you have these really smart people who've been really successful sometimes you actually know what's best for your business. And I don't know if you know the story of Friendster, but Friendster probably should have won over Facebook. It should have been the social network. And if you go back and listen to the story, I can't remember, it's on a podcast. Um, It was kind of that board advice that came in that kind of overshadowed what he knew he needed to do. And then eventually he got bounced. And I can't remember the founder's, founder's name, but really interesting story. Yeah, so, no, it's that's yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because it's so true. I think having board members or investors, they're outside of your company. Like, yeah, they're they're on your board, but like they're not living it. They're not breathing it every day like you are. They're not hustling, trying to figure yeah. out how to stay alive. So, as a founder, yeah, I would take that advice that you get from your board and investors. You know, not with a grain of salt. Like, obviously you know, mm-hmm. get the feedback, but you got to really trust your gut, especially yeah. when you're growing your business. So very true. What, what um, I find helps, sorry, just what I find helps more is, is a coach. And, and the difference between a coach is that they're asking you questions, helping you create your own plan that you already are bought in and believe in. Yeah. And they're just helping bring that out. The assumption is, is that you already have the answer within. So bring the problem, the coach will bring that out. It's like therapy for business. <laughs> uh, and so if you can have an advisor that's also, you know, co- a coach, that can be really helpful. But you have to be careful of what's advice mm-hmm. that you need to take action on, and what's just something that they, you know, from their position they they think is worth noting, and what is actually just good coaching advice that brings out your plan and what you believe in. And maybe that's where I, you know, when I'm speaking of gut feel, yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Yeah, and I, I, I on the coach thing, uh, I had a coach for about a year, year and a half in total help me out on like the personal side on the business side so like it comes a time when you know you got to start making your own decisions like you listen to them but it definitely helped me figure out a way to prioritize my thoughts in terms of making my the right decisions so exactly very true um mike wanted to ask something else uh when we connected back i think it was in july um you said something really 
interesting and profound for me that I could really relate to. And it was, I think, something along the lines of like, you don't have to destroy your mental health or your physical health for that matter um, and take that massive risk all the time. I wanted to explore that a bit more and uh, unpack it. Do you remember what your point was at that time? Well, I think I've, I've been through periods of deep anxiety and depression at the, at the tail end of startups. And it, the first one uh, that I did, I just went full in full on, uh, you know, put my health aside, put my like time with my family aside and just thought, well, I'll just work for like three months, a year. And I'll just focus on this. This is my whole thing. And I, you know, I stayed up late, got up early, didn't get enough sleep. Uh, and after about two years, I just wasn't feeling mentally right. Um, and so uh, coming out of that, I actually just walked away from the business. I just said, I, I can't do this anymore. And I just walked away. I was too stressed. I was too burnt out. And shortly after leaving, I went into, a, you know, just a period of like deep anxiety, deep depression. Uh, and it was rough. It took a long time. So, it, you know, it's partly burnout. It was partly just like not giving enough time for my mental health and mm -hmm. emotional state and taking care of myself. And so, you know, it took a bit of time and then started another company. And uh, this time I said, I'm going to make like my physical health was very much my focus. I'm going to make that part of my day. That's part of my job. And so at lunchtime, I would go and I would work out. And, you know, ran that for about five years. Near the end of it, it just got really, really stressful. Uh, you know, again, fell into this like pit of anxiety, I would say worse than the previous time. Oh, wow. okay. And it, it, was, it was because I wasn't taking care of my mental health in the way that I needed to. So, you know, I ended up getting a therapist, went through, um, you know, lots of counseling, you know, quit drinking, did a lot of different things, changed my sleep habits, got off coffee all these things to, to get my mental health in a good place. And so I think the, the point is, is that there's, there's no, absolutely no reason to destroy yourself at the success of the business. It's okay to let the business fail. But I think the thing that I learned, and that this is something that my coach is helping me with, she's very focused on emotional intelligence, is that when you're in that like productive mode that like hammer through things and get stuff done, I'm very much that like get shit done kind of guy. And I don't take a lot of time to like step back and be creative. But when you're in that mode, the productive mode, you can't, the, the part of your brain that's creative is like shut off. Mm -hmm. And so you just completely in, uh, not in touch with it. And so I was missing that part of me as a founder, that like creative part. And so the point being like, you don't have to destroy your mental health and your physical health, the time away from your company, the time where you're not working on something related to your company is so valuable, right? Like think about how many great ideas we come up with in the shower, take some time to do nothing. Mm -hmm. And that is helpful for your business as well. Um, and so, you know, there's lots of people talking about, you know, hustle culture, and you obviously don't need to subscribe to this you know, burn yourself out and work, you know, all days, all hours. Uh, it just doesn't, not only does it do damage or it did damage to me, but it's not actually helping your business because you're not finding ways to be creative and step away from your business and look at it from a different angle and approach it differently. So I actually feel like that is a disadvantage if that's what you're going to do. So you're just going to sit there and hammer out 
10 hour days of just getting stuff done, you're actually potentially limiting the scale of your business. You need to step away from it mentally, physically, you need to take care of yourself. You know, I've burned myself out. I've damaged myself and been able to recoup, which is great, but I absolutely don't want to do that again. So my advice to founders is just don't do it. Um, it's not helpful to you in any way. Yeah. And those extra hours yeah. aren't actually helpful. The hours away could be 10x, 100x helpful. The 1x get shit done is 1x. You want 10x, you want scale, you want this thing to grow. Uh, give yourself some space to do that. Uh, 100% agree. I think the whole killing it culture, I think that that's what somebody else mentioned in another recording before. It's so yeah. true. Like sometimes just people, you know, want to look good in front of their peers. There's that whole like, you know, uh, you know, funding and then getting announcements, tech crunch and all these kind yeah. of things. You're like, oh, I got to do it. I'm killing, I'm killing. But like, what are, what are you really doing? Like, who are you doing it for? Yeah. Like, um, which is, I think, important, oftentimes missed in some of the entrepreneurs. Um, was there like one or two game-changing things that you implemented when you started again in those two occasions in terms of how you want to run your businesses? Um, the, the, the first, after the first burnout, you know, the, the, the things were making sure that I took care of my physical health okay. and, and shutting down. So I was a Monday to Friday, nine to five. Like I would not work on the weekend. I would not work on the evenings. I just did not let myself do that. Um, the, the thing that has helped me the most by far, and I've tried lots of things. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Wim Hof, cold showers, breathing. Uh, like I said, I quit drinking. I quit coffee, you know, try to eat healthy. The thing that has been like the 10X for me is therapy, 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 therapy. Really? Everyone should be doing therapy. It is so helpful. I actually just had a session yesterday. I do like regular sessions. It helps so much, uh, you know, slightly, you know, below that would be coaching because that's like therapy for business. But the amount of like emotions and thoughts and beliefs that get messed up uh, when you're not paying attention to them, therapy helps you bring those out and process those. And if you don't do that, that's where stress comes from. And I think that's, that's the thing is stress is when you're working, you just push all that down. And you don't have to listen to it. Mm -hmm. It's the same. If you eat too much, if you work too much, if you drink too much, if you work out too much, if you, you know, whatever those things are, it's all the same process. And so as startup founders, we're working a lot or we're focused on our business a lot it's an easy thing to jump to like, Oh, I'm feeling kind of crappy. Well, I'll go work on my startup. Cause that's something that gives me excitement, but yeah. you're, you're avoiding your, your emotions and feelings and you need to process that. And therapy has helped me so much. That's the thing that, you know, after the second one that was crushing me, that's the thing that brought me back. And all the little things are one X this therapy is 10, 25 X it's wow. I'm a big proponent for, for that. So. Okay. Wow. Well. Mike, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. I never thought about it, but after speaking to you about it, I'd love to maybe speak to your therapist. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's she's awesome, and and I I I tell everybody like you know like if you got a doctor's appointment, you were going to tell us a doctor's appointment, dentist appointment. If I have a counseling appointment, it's in my calendar. Mm. It's totally normal. It's a great thing. We should tell people that we're doing it yeah. uh, and make it more common and accepted because the value of it is, is immense. Interesting. 
Okay. A uh, couple more questions, Mike. I wanted to go back to some of the business side mm-hmm. around entrepreneurs. I wanted to ask you, what advice would you want to give young entrepreneurs in terms of things that they should ignore when it comes to common pieces of advice that they receive? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind is just that, that hustle culture. Um, you know, that you have to work all the time on your business, that you have to be all the things. I think that, you know, something that, that I often will do is put the whole business on my back, mm-hmm. right? I'll even take stresses off of other people's, oh, don't worry about that. I got that. And it's like all on me. So you, you don't want to do that. That's not your role as a founder. That's not your job. Uh, and I think it's really important that you split the role of founder and role of in the company. You might be the CMO, CEO, you might be the developer. Be very clear of that. And that is your role within the company. You put on the hat for founder later, and that's where you have your board discussions and talk mm-hmm. about other things. Those are two different things. Um, your, your role as a founder isn't to do everything. And I realize right now I'm very much projecting because this is what I do. <laughs> but don't do it. It will crush you. And eventually, if your company grows, you just have more things on your back. Uh, and you you will be the limiter of scale. You'll be the linchpin for why it's not growing because everything has to funnel through you. So don't do that. Don't subscribe to hustle culture. Don't think that you have to work. You know, I mean, 40 hours a week is even kind of crazy. Like we've done studies on it that it's not actually yeah. beneficial, but you don't need to do more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's the, I guess, the advice that I would say. I don't know that that advice is, I think it's still out there. I do see it in places, but it is changing. But young entrepreneurs, I think they're starting to learn this uh, a lot sooner than than I did. And I had to learn it a couple of times, unfortunately. Yeah, no, we, we learn, we grow, we... And then we learn again. And we learn again. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Mike, random, random question here, but I want to end off with it. It's always a fun one is, what is your favorite curse word? <laughs> <laughs> this is such an interesting question. Uh, I'm a big fan of swearing. I love swearing. <laughs> Same here. I think I, I think I started swearing when I was like eight years old, as soon as I got away from my parents and I was like, I can use those words. Uh, I like the F word. Uh, you know, I, I, I professionally, I don't use it a lot, yeah. obviously, but when I'm frustrated, nothing feels better than the F word. Right. And, and don't say fudge or frick or, you know, funsicles or whatever you're going to say. <laughs> It's like, say it, it feels good. And I think there have been studies and proof that when you're feeling pain, that it will actually help. So um, that's that, you know, that's it for me is, is the F word. I, I try not to use it in public too much, but I really enjoy that word. <laughs> awesome. That's Thanks a great question. Sure. Yeah. It's just like uh, totally random, but I like asking it. It's fun. Yeah, um, it does a lot about people. Yeah, it does. Mike, thank you so much for your time today and coming on our show and to all of our listeners uh, for tuning in and supporting the show and following us on LinkedIn. We don't take it for granted and appreciate it. Um, so Mike, thanks again. And till next time. Yeah, thanks for having me. We are proud.